Welcome to episode 75 of the NeverEnding Glory Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Grilly. And Jerry, we're back. A little bit of a hiatus, but we are back to talk NFL, um, mainly the Super Bowl, and to kind of give a state of the union of the NeverEnding Glory Podcast and where we've been and where we're going. Um, but, you know, it's been since week 10, Jerry, since we had a fantasy football podcast. So in these past two, three months, what have you got? What have you been up to? What have the people missed that you haven't been able to bitch about over the airwaves of the NeverEnding Glory Podcast? I wish I could say I've been traveling, soul-searching, anything like that, that would be way more interesting than what I would describe as what actually happened. You know, a lot of uh, diaper changes and, you know, mm. running to pick up this or that. And, you know, and it all happens when we want to do our prime recording time. It's amazing right. if you go back to the early episodes how our lives are, are very different now. And uh, I wouldn't say we've grown, but we're definitely different men. Sure. Uh, you know, I remember used to uh, we used to – brag about podcasting on back-to-back nights and how much of a soldier we were, much like uh, the one LeBron James who lets the people know that he works out uh, on his days off. But, you know, uh, childhood or, or parenthood gets in the way, and uh, it's been one <laughs> one one podcast and a week gets to be a challenge. So, yeah, and uh, But the I good news is... Real, real quick, me and mm-hmm, myself, mm-hmm. much like LeBron James, I, I enjoy a, a, a nice bottle of wine on the off day as well, which he likes to put all over his Instagram. I've noticed um, a nice, a nice deep red. A, yeah, a deep, hearty, uh, uh, plum style red. Yeah. And, and if you haven't noticed this, the boys uh, from Part of My Take uh, on Barstool Sports they they point this out a lot. But LeBron James' favorite hashtag now is "Sheesh" whenever he's had a, a rough night of drinking too much vino. Um, and I wonder, is that part of the downfall from the Cleveland Cavaliers right now? Is is LeBron James an alcoholic? I used to think that back in like early November. Uh, I thought there might great be great band, to that. great band. All right, early November. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I thought that in early November there might be something to this. You know new wino group he had with uh with Dwayne Wade and their wives and you know various people would come in and out of that and you'd see him and he'd post a picture and there'd be six bottles that were opened from that night and you'd see the next day he post something about a a hangover well a when you're that hydrated as an athlete I think you're going to be okay I mean his body (laughs) could just cycle through 12,000 calories in no time um Mm. But if I drank twelve, you know, the amount of money he spends in 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 wine in one night, like you know, just at dinner, I could buy a lot of Boone Farms with that, or a lot of Francia. <laughs> that's for sure. Some Mad Dog Twenty Twenty, perhaps. Yeah, a little MD. Yeah, um, I, 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 I think it's pretty funny to see LeBron James sitting there all tatted up with his boys, just drinking wine. It's just, it, it seems like the two cultures don't fit all that much, um, but. You know, that's a different story for a different day. I'm sure yeah, we'll talk you, far you more. Boston tendencies are starting to show here a little bit. Are you, are you saying that uh, <laughs> that athletic athletic black men can't enjoy vino? Like, or- no, no. I guess it's just it's been a it's been a quick transition um, from from no drinking to all of a sudden he's a wine connoisseur. Um, that 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 was what I meant. There, I think it's Jerry. more to do with being collective. Uh, like having a commodity that's really hard to obtain. I mean, some of those bottles that we look them up, my wife and I enjoy like uh, researching what they are sometimes. And I mean, there's easily some nights where he's got four bottles open and that's like $2,500 right there. Oh, I'm sure. And not sure. like, not because they're, you know, gold plated bottles, like an Ace of Spades champagne. It's because <laughs> it's like from like 1982 or it's like a 67 Chateau something, you know, from, mm deep in the heart of France or Italy it's he he actually does pick some good stuff 
Hot take, though. Give me a $10 bottle of Apothic Red Blend, and I think that's as good, if not better, than most of those $400 bottles of wine. If that's a hot take. If there's take one thing the I learned as a semi-wine uh, snob is there's a huge difference between an $11 bottle and a $16 bottle. Always go with the 16 or uh, just around that price point. Huge difference in quality. Okay. Again, give me give me the apothecary. Give that's me the blood. Maybe that's a tip for your wife and not for you, but that's fine. <laughs> All right. We, we've talked about LeBron enough. Uh, I'm getting a little bit sick to my stomach. And it doesn't matter because their season's almost over anyways. The Boston Celtics are about to take the East. But that's neither here nor there. We'll talk about that in a different part, pod with Farky yeah, or something. Um, but, you know, I think before we get into um, – what we're going to talk about tonight, we have to give some sort of state of the union on where the Never Ending Glory podcast is, where we've been, where we're going. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, Jerry and I have, due to life commitments, uh, have been un- unable to to record as much as we wanted to. Uh, the College Pod did a great job uh, throughout the the college football season, uh, keeping all of our listeners informed, all of our sex bots informed, and all the things going in uh, college football. But, you know, we lacked uh, right right around the playoff push, week 10. So I don't think our fantasy football listeners enjoyed that too much. But we were still active on Twitter and Facebook. But uh, moving forward, the plan is to start bringing more people into the fold. You're going to see uh, here a much more diverse voice uh, on the Never Ending Glory podcast. You already heard it in episode 74 when uh, Sean Z hosted for the first time in a while, which is always interesting to, to hear him go from i made the the comparison he went from uh the demon cane to corporate cane and uh <laughs> when he has to reel it in a little bit as a host it's it's pretty funny i thought it was like but, when you uh, to see like a dog wearing human clothes you know what's that about <laughs> but um he brought on rue uh aka rp3 who is uh he did a great job i thought i, I really enjoyed rue's hot take i didn't expect did that job. Did not expect that whatsoever. Uh, I've seen his public speaking skills on the Louisville highlight tape uh, outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was very shocked by that, but he did a great job. They recapped the Senior Bowl. They talked about some of the Browns' needs in the NFL draft and some more of the top prospects. Um, but that's something that you'll be able to expect from the, the crew that we have coming in. We have more Browns fans, Browns writers. Um, we have more Patriots fans, Patriots writers. I have some Bills Mafia coming in to to take part in the uh, the fantasy football talk and the the football wrap-up and we're also going to promote the blog a little bit more um i've written a couple posts on there i did a, a patriot super bowl wrap-up uh, as well as mcdaniels a josh mcdaniels um uh, reaction to him staying with the patriots but we're going to uh we have some big things coming with the blog we plan on uh getting a brand new website so it won't be a free blogger <laughs> um website that just looks like it literally cost 12 cents to to put up here um but that's what we're going to do we want to promote more and more content get a bunch of different voices out there um so we make sure that you not only hear from our point of view uh, but also other people's point of view and and more importantly you consistently hear it from everybody so um jerry you have anything to add to that or is that kind of what, what your what your thought process is too no i think you're right you're going to see a more diverse selection of uh idiots and morons that people can yell out <laughs> and on twitter and everything else so yeah i never said we we're going to be smarter i just said we we're going to be more consistent yeah the word was never used the word that was never used was better or you know quality <laughs> was never mentioned so right right i think it's it's quantity over quality right is right. that how it works right okay so let's dive right into um, the biggest biggest game of the season, obviously, uh, Super Bowl 52. 
didn't go the way I thought it would. Um, it was a track track meet from the opening whistle. Uh, final score, 41-33. The Eagles over the Patriots. Nick Foles, uh, Super Bowl MVP, which, you know, Jerry, if I told you back in, in August when we were talking about our fantasy football squads, if I told you Nick Foles would be a not only a difference maker this season, but the Super Bowl MVP, I mean, what would your reaction be to that statement back in August? Um... I mean, go back to what year was the Rams Hard Knocks episode? Um, Jeff Fisher let the guy go, and if 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 somebody can't approve, you know, get the approval rating of Jeff Fisher, I'm probably going to guess that uh, <laughs> he's not going to be on your fantasy squad, let alone be on your Super Bowl winning championship team. Um, utter shock and disbelief if you would have said that. I would have questioned most things that you make decisions about if you had said at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. Nick Foles would be your. Uh, Super Bowl championship quarterback this year for the Philadelphia Eagles. So, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that, that makes it hurt even more. <laughs> the fact that Nick Foles and Doug Peterson uh, came in and just they were not worried about the lights. They were not worried about the competition. They were not uh, scared whatsoever of just just the whole magnitude of the Super Bowl. I thought that was the Patriots' biggest strength going into the game, but they they showed that that was not a factor whatsoever. No, um, I mean the Patriots. The Patriots didn't. They allowed five straight scoring drives to end the game, which is so unpatriots like for them. They had eight and, possessions where they scored. Eight out right. of ten possessions they scored. They allowed one punt, and there was an interception that was kind of a, not a fluky play. It was a great play by Stephon Gilmore, and Dron Harmon came in. But, I mean, Elshon Jeffrey had that ball. He just kind of knocked it up. It was just a pathetic performance by the New England Patriots defense. And if we're being perfectly honest, Jerry, I think it starts and ends with the decision to bench Malcolm Butler at the beginning of the game for what is still a mystery, um, you know, the first series, two series, I didn't really notice that Butler wasn't in the game. I was like, oh, they're just picking on Eric Rowe for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, where's Malcolm Butler? Where, where is this guy? He's not playing. This is very awkward, very weird. And it ends up that for, according to Bill Belichick, not for disciplinary reasons, Malcolm Butler was benched for the Super Bowl. As a non-Patriots fan, as an outsider at Burris, you know, what is your initial take on that? What are your thoughts? Because I have plenty of them. Uh, I'll preface this by by saying I'm I'm definitely a Bill Belichick honk, and I have been for a while. Um, and if you go back into the history books, you know, and you, you look at the, the different ways that they prepared in the playoffs back since he was with the Giants under Parcells, and you know, in the Patriots dynasty. The one thing that they do in the in the playoffs is they're going to give you a look or a scheme defensively you weren't prepared for. Um, they're going to change their personnel. They'll be in dime sets. They'll be in uh, three man down line sets. You know they'll they'll change things around. But one thing I didn't notice in any of those things was taking their best defensive <laughs> secondary player completely out of the game because of scheme reasons. And right. quote unquote. Um, it was a little shocking. I didn't notice it at first because it was just it, kind of like a non-thought. And I, it would I make read, no sense. Why would read, you ever yeah, say? I read on Twitter, I, it, like, the leader of their, their entire defense and snaps percentage of snaps played in the regular right. season was was Butler, like 97%. He was at 98%, and we actually um, credited Michael Hurley on this, who 
uh, which, which is awesome. He'll actually be on the podcast later on um, this episode. He's going to come on. He agreed to come on for 15, 20 minutes to talk about the Super Bowl and what's going on with the Patriots. But I quoted Michael Hurley, and yeah, he right there, 98%, right behind him, Devin McCourty, uh, right behind him, Jerron Harmon. All the top players in that secondary, on that defense, Malcolm Butler was number one, and he did not play a single defensive snap on Sunday against the the Philadelphia Eagles. So yeah, it's if you if you're asking me if that's if that's the reason why they lost, I still think that's the reason they didn't get stops. I think it had a lot more to do with there was absolutely zero pass rush, um, mm-hmm. kind of both teams. But you know Brady's game is to take that away by with the quick short passes. But the the Eagles really helped themselves by. Um, the play action passing game, which was m- completely mislabeled by Chris Collingsworth the whole game, is, is RPO. <laughs> RPO, RPO. Yeah, he is going to get an RPO uh, tramp stamp on his back for next season, <laughs> I think. One, but yeah, that totally slowed him down. And it, it was just a very, very shocking reading post game. Like, we, we, we went to find out that 97% of the season the guy plays and then yeah. not a down in the, in the Super Bowl. It, well, here. The crying, here's my, the crying was the telltale sign. Like, something's yeah, not right. Yeah. And, and here's my thing um, with with Belichick just saying there was it was a scheme. Like, don't – that's disrespectful. And then where's the Sean Z? That's disrespectful. You know, don't tell the fans of this team that have been following this team all year that a guy who is the linchpin to this defense for the past three years, that he just didn't fit the scheme. And all of a sudden, you know, after – right. 97% of the time he's on the field just for this, the biggest game of the season, he just doesn't fit in the scheme. And, you know, if it was disciplinary, if he did something wrong, and there's, for whatever reason, well, there's a few reasons, but Belichick simply does not like Malcolm Butler. Uh, Butler's been trying to get a new contract for the past two years, and rightfully so, but Belichick's MO is, I am going to pay you when you are ready to get paid. He just got the first-round tender this past season, got $4 million. Um, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent this year. He should be getting $15 million a year, just like Stephon Gilmore did. He might not now, because obviously if Belichick's going to bench this guy in the Super Bowl, there's something wrong with him. That's what every single head coach is going to say. But I just don't don't disrespect us by saying that he just simply didn't fit the scheme. And he wasn't disciplinary. Because I don't care if... Other, other than him like hitting a woman or killing somebody or hitting a kid... He should have been on the field on Sunday for some portion of the defensive snaps. If that means that Eric Rowe was struggling in the first quarter and you come in, you say, all right, Malcolm, you're ready for the second quarter. Let's see what you got. At least give him a shot because Belichick came out and said it was more of a, or according to Ian Rappaport, it was a, a partially disciplinary. It was also because of he just had the flu and he just wasn't there physically and he wasn't there mentally. But you know what? For how bad Nick Foles and Doug Peterson were abusing the Patriots secondary, I'm fine with taking a chance on Malcolm Butler for a couple plays to see. Because honestly, I think he could have been a difference maker in that game. Right. Give the Patriots the Baker are, Mayfield treatment. You're not going to start the game. And, right. You know, we'll, right. You're going to come in right away. That's what he did with Walker. He did that with Walker in the 2011 um, divisional round against the Jets. But I really think that that Malcolm Butler could have made a difference in that game and could have been the difference between a win and a loss simply because this Super Bowl was so great that it came down to a play or two. And if Malcolm Butler makes one of those amazing plays that he's done in the past on a third or fourth down and that changes the tie of the game, I mean, it, it could have been that could have been the difference right there. That 
I honestly think that. And maybe that's my Patriots homerism coming out. Um, because, like you said, you're a Belichick honk. And I am too. But I 100% disagree with this decision to bench Malcolm Butler. It has absolutely no good short-term or long-term outcome for the Patriots, for Belichick, or for Butler. No, and it's going to be contentious this offseason, but don't you think all negotiations with the Patriots are always contentious and there's always kind of a disconnect of what the player thinks they deserve, what they then what the Patriots think they deserve, what the, what the coaching staff believe they deserve, and then what the fans think they deserve. And yes. it's always – a. Sometimes it's huge, huge uh, chasms in between what those things are, and sometimes it's not. And I think he's kind of had a problem with the front office. You know, there's there were rumors of trades. Um, who was it they were trying to move from what to in the office? He almost he almost got traded to the Saints. Yeah, yeah, he was almost got traded to the Saints. You know, it's going to be interesting what happens with him. But this is not helping Butler uh, in the case of well, maybe it is helping him because then he can say, "I don't want to be here in the first place." I can mm-hmm. go anywhere I want, uh, right. like you say, he's under, unrestricted. So we'll see. He's gone. I mean, he he's all he but has gone. Been gone, right? He, he's been yeah, he's been gone. He had a, he had a down year this year for him, um, and some of the rumors going on in the in the Boston airwaves is that Belichick thought that um, that he would over try too hard and make a mistake that way because he's all about, Hey, I got to rehab my image by having a great Super Bowl, And he would kind of do his own thing, uh, much like Jamie Collins did in, in the new England defense. And that's why he got traded. But I, I just still think that talent wise, Malcolm Butler gave you the best chance to win that Super Bowl, And I really think that Brady did it or Belichick did a disservice to the, the other guys on the team, uh, his coaching staff ownership, as well as the fans by by benching Malcolm Butler. And oftentimes we see Belichick's arrogance come into play. And in this case, I think this is the most extreme version of his arrogance coming in and, and ultimately biting him in the ass. And Well, do you think yeah. Patricia had anything to do with this in, as far as it goes with the game planning and personnel decision? Or do you think this is all Belichick? I think it was all Belichick. And, and Patricia just said, okay, yeah, whatever you want, coach. Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say he was checked out, um, but he, he was like, I'm not going to rough on any more feathers on the way out. <laughs> I got a thing with, with the, the Lions. I don't have to deal with this locker room next year. Um, uh, sure, whatever you want, Bill. I'm not going to question that. That's, that's what I honestly think his response was at that point. Um, he just got announced as the head coach of the Detroit Lions today, and you know, I wish him the best. I, I, I liked Matt Patricia's time here. I don't think he's going to be much of an impactful coach in Detroit, but I, I do hope that he can kind of buck the trend of Patriots assistant coaches uh, struggling when they move on to a head coach somewhere else. Um, I hope he but, doesn't try to do the – I think the problem with Patriots assistants that move on to other places, um, they, if, as long as they're not trying to you know, create that same persona and, and – right that Bill Belichick character, I think it'll be fine. Yep. As long as he sticks to his, what his guns are, and that's, you know, coaching the hell out of a defensive scheme, yep. um, he'll be fine. And, you know, Detroit's, an, I think it's it's a pretty easy place to be a, a, a coach. Um, it, I agree. The NFC North is not real controversial. Um, you're not in mm-hmm. mass media markets uh, the, besides right. Chicago. And Detroit wants winners. That's they want a winning team more, you know, more than most places in America. So I think it's a good a good fit for him, and they got a pretty good defensive line coming back. So um, I think he'll be successful. 
Yeah, and, and that that's actually a great segue to I think the next topic. Um, news hit today or yesterday that Josh McDaniels is going to stay in New England um, and not take the Indianapolis Colts job that he was rumored to go to, and that was already they're supposed to have a, a press conference today, which is Wednesday, um, about the signing and. He changed his mind. Um, and you mentioned sometimes players or coaches go into the new situations and, and try to be like Belichick. And I think that was McDaniel's challenge in Denver back in 2009 is he kind of came in and said, I'm going to be Bill Belichick. And he hadn't kind of built that reputation yet. He was a younger guy, uh, had never had a head coaching job before. And I don't want to say he was too big for his britches. I think Josh McDaniels is a great coach. I just think that, not everybody can be Bill Belichick. And Belichick already cut his teeth with the Giants, with the Browns, with the Jets, with the Patriots, before he became the head coach for the Patriots back in 2000. Um, and, and now we see Josh McDaniels. So, okay, so let's talk about it real quick. So what do you think of Josh McDaniels just kind of spurning the Colts and, coming, and staying with the Patriots? What does that mean long term? Well, initial reaction is I, I don't. I don't care that he didn't go to the Colts and, and stay there. Like, I don't think it's like a personal attack on the Colts or anything like that. Right. Like he never signed a contract. He never publicly came out and said like any statement that I'm going to be the next head coach of the, of the Colts. Right. I'm not incorrect by saying that. Correct. Yep. And like in a P in the PR world, this is looks bad. The optics are bad, but like, think about it. What situation is better? And, if the if at the last second in the eleventh hour, you know, if the Patriots play as much hardball as, as they sure seem they do, they probably said like, "This is our best and final offer." We're we think Bill's going to do this for a year, maybe two more years, and you're the heir apparent. Don't mm-hmm. you think that'd be enough to make you want to stay if you're if you've already had so much success there? And you know what? Guess what? You've got two years to get a quarterback that's going to back up TB12 yep. and make him the guy. So. I don't see what the big deal is. Um, yeah, it's it's a huge story to talk about, and it sucks for the Colts fans who thought they were going to get somebody respectable. Uh, I don't know what Ursay is going to do, but I'm sure it's going to involve a little bit of pills and powders. Uh, <laughs> you might hit up LeBron for some uh, for some wine. Oh come on now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think yes. In the next 48 hours, this is going to be a huge thing to talk about. But uh, when the season starts, it's not like people are going to be like. You know, Josh McDaniels spurred the uh, the, right. the Colts, and God, the the football Illuminati out there think that this is like revenge tour uh, or some sort of revenge <laughs> move on the Colts over you know Dequell the Jackson's squishing yeah. of the football. Like, give me a break. Well, I, yeah, I, I love that theory of the uh, this is retribution for Deflategate. Oh, I, I love the theory. The <laughs> it's hilarious. And, you know, actually, Dequell Jackson was on the uh, was on part of my take over Super Bowl week, and he he said he had nothing to do with um, with the balls being you know with going to the equipment guy. He said that he was blindsided by that. So I just want to throw that nugget in there. But um, yeah, no. So my my one thing, the one thing I don't like about McDaniel's doing that is. I don't want to say he held the Colts hostage by any means because, like you said, he didn't sign a contract. But they did miss out on a bunch of good head coaching opportunities or head coach op- um, candidates. Uh, but the one guy, and I talked about this in the blog post today on negpodcast.com, the one guy who's out there that has experience with AFC South is Jeff Fisher. I mean, is it time to bring back the fish, Jeff Fisher? <laughs> 
Is this not the perfect opportunity for him to go eight and eight somewhere or seven and nine somewhere? I mean, that's the Colts to a T. I think that's a perfect situation for him. If, if they don't make this happen anytime soon, then there is no God. And best part about it, we've had plenty of content. Oh my God! Can you imagine? I might actually drive to Indy to watch a game just to see him be out there. <laughs> no, so, what does what does suck is I you know I have some friends in the coaching world in college, and things happen quickly, and guys move, guys change, and then they bring staffs with them. You know, and this yep. affects families. Yep. And so if there were people that were signed on to go to Indy, um, you know, or, you know, burn a bridge because they wanted to go to, in, to Indy and maybe somebody, you know, said, hey, if I do this, you're coming with me and stuff like that. Because this happens so fast. They probably, some people, I guess there's going to be some people that got burned by this. There will well, be I mean, people there, that burn. There are, there are guys that have already signed contracts and the Colts said that they're going to stay on as assistant coaches. Um, and, you know, a lot of people that are criticizing McDaniels right now are saying that um, he didn't feel comfortable moving his family to Indianapolis. Well, all these people moved their family to Indianapolis and, and they were promised, you know, a gig with you. Um, so I, I get that criticism, hundred percent. But you know, as a Patriots fan, to your point, that now there's going to be more consistency. There might be that actual transition from Belichick and Brady to um, McDaniel's and Brady, or the quarterback of the future. Um, this is going to allow McDaniel's the opportunity to 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 find the guy in the draft and and mold him for the next few years. So when he does take over, it'll be the guy that he that he wants. Um, on top of that, uh, Schefter just tweeted out that the the Patriots plan on, or Bill Belichick plans on showing Josh more the intricacies of running a team. So that tells me that that I don't know if it's going to be okay. Belichick retires, he's out of the picture altogether. In comes McDaniel's, he's now the head coach and general manager. I think that's a little bit too much to take on. I wouldn't be surprised if if. Belichick kind of takes some sort of adversarial role or becomes the official GM of the Patriots, maybe. But in the end, you know, Josh McDaniels is getting a much better opportunity to learn how to run a football team under Bill Belichick, who arguably is the greatest just mastermind of putting together a football team and running it year in, year out for, you know, we've seen this for the past 17 years. So, as a Patriots fan, you really can't be upset about how this is all kind of worked out. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, it can only mean good things for what's been a really weird offseason so far. And that that is the, the fire keeps on keeps on churning with uh, the, the rumors of Rob Gronkowski now potentially thinking about retirement to, to be right. the action star in Hollywood or something. So I guess that's the logical next thing to talk about. I mean, he, what kind of merit do you put in these rumors that Gronk might hang him up in a year or two? He's going to be the or next net, Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> I mean, there's more Rocky movies coming out. I think he'd be a fantastic uh, opposition to Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> that would actually would be a good matchup. Um, the guy is put together by duct tape and hopes and dreams. I mean, I've seen him live in person <laughs> get knocked out of that Browns game. Um, yeah. He just t- – his – when you're that big, you're exposed and you take shots, and it's it's unreal the punishment he's taken and how still he plays at a high level. Right. Um, you know, I was watching the AFC Championship game with some buddies, and and 
literally took the hit, and somebody goes, "His brain is mush." And I was like, hey, "Oh, mush before that." <laughs> it's kind of. And somebody said something similar, but you know, go back through his injury record: knee, yeah. elbow, ne- uh, forearm, forearm, head, head. All, yeah. And then he had a neck. Didn't he have a neck? Uh, I don't know about that. Maybe, but anyway, just he's put together by duct tape. So, yeah, is it time to hang it up? He's got to be close. Has yeah, to be close. I don't know. I, I'm not. You know, when it first came out, I was like, "Well, they asked this guy five minutes after he just lost the Super Bowl after a yeah, season's over." Terrible time to do it. Yeah, terrible timing. because so I didn't put any stock into it, but now the whispers are real. Um, people and his father, Glenn uh, or Gordy, Gordy, he. He has a lot of say in what Rob does with his life. I mean, it's a family decision. It's really the Gronks have done a great job of marketing their family as a whole. It's not just Rob. It's everybody. Um, So I guess I could see it happening. Uh, I also think this is probably the beginning of contract negotiations. You know, it's never been enough for Gronkowski. He pretty much his whole contract was based on – um, incentives this year. He hit the All-Pro. He won the All-Pro, so he got like a $5.5 million raise, which is awesome. Good for him. But, you know, the Patriots have done him a solid in the past. Before his contract was up, they extended him to a, a, the largest tight end contract at the time. Um, they've also paid him for when he's been out for large chunks of the season. And so he's been paid, and I think if you look over the grand scope of his career, even though he could possibly go down as the greatest tight end to play the game, I think he has been compensated fairly. Now, with that being said, if you look at the top tight ends in the league, you know, salary-wise, he's number four, number five. So he's saying, well, I'm clearly the number one tight end in the league. I should be paid like that. So I kind of see his side of it, but I also see the Patriots' side of it. I mean, what's your thought on it? Do you think that he's being compensated fairly, or do you think it's he he should just shut up and or, or I'm sorry, do you think that he should be fighting for more money? Well, anybody in that stage of the game, that many injuries and playing at that high of a level, should always be fighting for more money. Um, the hourglass is running down a little bit, starting to see you know further into the future of what what what's gonna do, what's gonna happen when this finally just totally breaks down. He should be yeah. asking for more money. Being a top four tight end in the league, um, I hit. I have to see the figures of who's number one to new, number four and what the difference is per year. But mm-hmm. I'm going to guess it's it's arguably enough to keep the um, the roster. How do I want to put this? It's like when you take a little less so you can bring in some more people that you want. Like if his, right. if, like if his roster was if his roster spot was taken up a certain amount for the cap and they weren't able to bring in somebody like Brandon Cooks. Um, or if they were going to lose somebody like Julian Edelman, I, I think that's the safe play is to keep that that offense together as much as possible. So mm-hmm. I, I see your, the point of we should be paying this guy. I think was Travis Kelsey making. Well, here's more? the thing, Gronk. So Gronk is actually number three. So three. it's Travis Kelsey at nine point three six eight million, Jordan Reed nine point three five million, and then Gronk at nine. Um, and, and oddly enough, Dwayne Allen sitting there at seven point three five, which is. That's an absolute steal. That that's like that makes Brock Osweiler's contract look good. And Martellus Bennett's at seven. So the Patriots have twenty three million dollars locked up in the tight end position, which is more than what Tom Brady makes right now. Um, so yeah, I, I, I see it. Um, 
I just think that if, you know, and he might be just kind of sick of what's going on with, with all the, the BS in the locker room and the divide that's going on between Belichick and, and the rest of the team. So they just said, I'm out. I'm going to go. I can make as much money. You know, he just hosted the Nickelodeon Kids Awards or something like that. He <laughs> He's clearly, he's clearly uh, uh, a social media star, a pop culture, pretty much icon now because he's just the Gronk. He's a loose, loose big idiot. I mean, he could go to the WWE if you wanted to. I mean, he could he could be the face of the XFL in 2020. Um, who knows what this guy could do? I think the options are limitless for him. So uh, if he does end up eventually bowing out early like Barry Sanders or Calvin Johnson, then that that's a huge, huge hit to the Patriots offense. And I think the, uh, the glory of making the playoffs every year for 17 straight years, except for that... Uh, the year Brady towards ACL, um, maybe that could take take a bit of a hit. But um, the the one question that was posed on sports media today uh, out in New England was: so top tight end or top wide receivers in the league make sixteen fifteen million dollars a year. Are you willing to pay Gronk top wide receiver money? Is that what he deserves, or does he deserve something between the nine point five million dollars that Kelsey gets and the fifteen million dollars that Julio Jones gets? We 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 had this debate. In our draft this year, about our you know redraft that we have every year, and about like where does Travis Kelsey fit in with the top wide receivers in our fantasy draft? Like where she where she land based off of a uh, how many uh, how many times are they going to throw to him? How many receptions are going to have? How many touchdowns off of that? Put that up if you just mix it all up, regardless of wide receiver or tight end, where does it all fall out? Right in the Patriots world. Gronk gets more targets, more receptions uh, in most years, uh, especially this year because Edelman being being out. I right. would say. Like you have to consider him in that same problem that like the the Saints have with Jimmy Graham. Is he should be right. paid as a tight end? Should be paid as a wide receiver? My my theory is this: if you are a, a blocking scheme guy, you're a tight end. If you yeah. are a six six to six eight. Um, thick dude that can that can you know take the top off a of defense, or you can you know catch a pop pass. Um, you're a wide receiver, so, mm-hmm. it, but does it really matter? I think it's just it's an old school way of thinking. It's an old school front office tactic to say, well, tight ends aren't worth that much money. What value does he bring to your offense as a whole? Um, right. And, and the level of production is proportionally important when it comes to how much money they should be making to the other wide receivers. I, guys like Kelsey, guys like Gronk, th- mm-hmm. they should be making the most when it comes to the wide receiver um, uh, room in, in that roster. So Yeah. Well, if you look at it, it's funny. If you look at it, and I could have jumped all over you for the, the thick guy comment, but I decided to refrain. Um, you know what I'm, t- I'm talking like the Eddie <laughs> Crumpler. Uh, I'm yes, talking yeah, old school tight ends. Yeah, I know. Vasante Shanko. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the tight ends last year in fantasy, um, Gronk finished fourth in PPR for points per game out of tight ends and receivers. Um, you got Kelsey finishing 12th, Zach Ertz finishing 13th. Um, anybody else that's been there? So out of the top 30, you know, those are the there's those are three guys right there that are de facto wide receiver ones in fantasy. Right. So to to your point, yeah, like if if you're going to Obviously, the, you're not paying these guys to block. You're paying these guys to be receivers. And it's not a wide receiver. It's not a flanker. It's not a tight end. It's just a guy that's going to line up and catch the football. 
Uh, and that's kind of Le'Veon Bell's argument when it comes to, hey, I should be paid like the number one running back in the NFL and the number five wide receiver in the NFL because I'm that true hybrid. And, he, yeah, he's got a point. The guy had 90 catches. He's a hell of a receiver. Um, so there's still – I think there's a huge gray area in in some of those positions, uh, and we're seeing that as the game continues to change because you're not just lining up in the eye and just you know running a, a trap play every you know three times out of every four downs. Uh, so it's going to continue to change, and um, that's kind of – you know, going to be an interesting thing, not only in the landscape of the NFL, but just uh, the Patriots in general as they move forward. Um, if you are from the Boston area like I am, you will know who Michael Hurley is. He's from CBS Sports Boston. Um, well known for defending the wall during Deflategate, fighting Michael Felger on 98.5 The Sports Hub, and simulcasted on NBC Boston. Um, Michael, thank you for joining us tonight. This is an honor. Thanks. No, thanks for having me. And, and to be to be explicitly clear, I was never defending anything. I was just stating obvious facts. That is um, that is the for truth. Years. <laughs> I have to say this about Michael. He, I mean, you are a homer. You're from New England, right? I am from New England. Yeah. Not a homer. Though. So okay, but but what you do is is you know in, in Boston media. Um, I'm not going to name names because they're your colleagues, but a lot of people like to hate on the Patriots or hate on the success of the New England sports media. Or I'm sorry, New England sports teams, because it's easy. You know, it's easy to to to, you know, give Belichick crap because he's a grumpy old man all the time. But what right. you did throughout Deflategate, I thought was really good. It was is you you presented the facts and you said the NFL is being asinine because of this 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 and this. Meanwhile, Felger is doing his oh Hurley. Well, he did this too, and who's Dorito Dink and who you know so. Yeah. So I appreciated yeah. that. So it was a struggle because Felger paints you in a certain light and it just sort of sticks, even mm-hmm. though you're really keeping it. I really kept it, you know, as close to down the middle when, when they looked guilty in certain things, I would say they looked guilty in certain things. And True. when they looked like they uh, were getting hosed in other areas and, you know, ultimately the NFL ended up looking worse than the Patriots or Brady did, but no one seemed to really care except for right. me and, and select few. So it was <laughs> fun and also frustrating, but, um, it was it was a wild time, and we we all miss those deflate gate days. Yes, for being honest, absolutely. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I was one of the few that appreciated it as well. Um, first, do you have anybody in Cleveland that you would at least respect and, and want to talk on the podcast with? Because I think they think those guys are kind of few and far between in Cleveland. Well, I don't want to I don't want to name names. We have a couple guys we're working on uh, right now. Uh, actually, some CBS guys, but. Um, we have some connections via old friends from college and stuff we had to touch upon, but you know, let's stick with the New England stuff tonight. Sure, I like that. I like that. Usually, I'm um, outnumbered by the Clevelanders. So, um, Michael, you know, first things first. Obviously, you know, we talked earlier about the Super Bowl and how it was a disappointment. Um, I, I place honestly most of the blame on Bill Belichick for not playing Malcolm Butler. I understand that there was a lot of different variables that went into the decision. We'll never know the true story behind it. But I honestly say, and I put my name on this, that if Malcolm Butler plays in that Super Bowl, they win. I honestly believe that because the game was so um, back and forth. There's so many third down plays, fourth down plays that really needed a cover guy um, to, you know, I don't know, deflect a ball or two or make a difference. Maybe tackle a guy, which Malcolm Butler is pretty good at. Um, yeah. So, like, what are your thoughts on, you know, whether or not Butler would have been the difference in the outcome of the game? I agree with you on because you didn't need Malcolm Butler in that game to make play after play after play after play and be a shutdown corner. You needed him literally to help you get one more stop and force a second punt, and you probably win the game. 
And so what you have when you take him out, Chung's not all week. We're saying, how are they going to cover Zach Ertz? What are they going to do? It's probably going to be Chung. Chung can do it. Well, Chung can't do it because Chung has to do something else because you have only two corners in the game and you got Jordan Richards, who's not an NFL player. I mean, probably a nice kid. Uh, you know, Batamosi. Yeah, Batamosi. I mean, the, the, the missed tackle that Batamosi had on Aguilar was pathetic because Aguilar didn't even do anything. He just caught it, and then all of a sudden the guy that was tackling him was no longer tackling him. So <laughs> you just need the one play. And, and, you know, Roe gave up the touchdown, but Butler might have given up a touchdown. It's not about that. It's about, you know, you, you, you thinned out your already thin defense for what? Just to, you know, make Butler sit there and, and look like a like a jabroni on, on, you know, with 100 million people watching. I think it was just... I think it was personal, and I think their history goes back and shows that Bills treated him differently for years. And, uh, I, I, you know, look, if you got a personal thing, you got a personal thing, but maybe just play him for one more game and then send him off to free agency because uh, I agree, I think it cost them a Super Bowl. There is absolutely no benefit short-term or long-term to benching Butler because short-term, you're going to lose the Super Bowl, and long-term, you're not going to re-sign this guy anyways. So why the hell are you just you know, you know, just disrespecting all the other players on the Patriots. You're disrespecting all the fans, um, all your other coaches. I, I really think that his arrogance absolutely got in the way here and, and cost them their sixth Lombardi trophy. Um, and I think if you look, I mean, it's not apples to apples, but I think the, the Seahawks locker room fell to pieces. It crumbled. They would look sure. like they were going to be back-to-back champs, but Pete didn't give the ball to Lynch. All the players thought it's because they didn't want him to be MVP. And they're still fractured. And, you know, I, I think the Patriots have a little bit more structure and uh, leadership than the Seahawks did. But still, uh, it seemed like guys like McCourty, Harmon, Gilmore, Rowe, they were all left to answer the questions that they really shouldn't have been asked because they should have been asked by, to the coach. And he didn't really have much to say about it. So uh, can they get over it? Probably better than the Seahawks. But there's still that risk that, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to forget. I'll say that. Well, and on top of that, you know, Brady, Gronk, Hightower, the three best players on the team all liked Malcolm Butler's post, which might be nothing or might be everything. You know, it's basically saying, I don't know what I did wrong. Um, everything that's coming out is is a lie. Uh, I don't understand well, why I was benched. I think a good point on that, I can't tell you who saw it because takes are flying fast and furiously, but right. someone brought up a good point, uh, so I can't properly cite it as the original thinker of this one but Brady would not have liked that and commented on it if it's going to come out later that Butler you know was out drinking and missed right. curfew stuff like that Brady yeah. is you know he would not do that so I think that's a, a pretty big statement even though it's just social media it's a like and it's a comment yeah. but uh, I think Brady would look foolish if later it comes out that Butler was a bad teammate all week so I think that that really speaks to it being a football decision with Sure, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, this will this will make fourth and two look like child's play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they, and and Felger and Maz talked about fourth and two for a solid three months, and it was a regular season game. So they might um, still be talking about it. I'm, I'm sure they are. Um, so this kind of, you talked about just the the different leadership roles in in Seattle and how the Patriots have much better leadership in their locker room. And a, a perfect segue to that is what's happened with Josh McDaniels. Uh, obviously, for the longest time, Josh McDaniels was saying. Saying he was, or not, he wasn't saying, but the Colts were reporting that he was going to be their next head coach. Um, They're going to have a a a meeting about that, a press conference about that on Wednesday, and then obviously he backed out last second. And GM Chris Ballard said the 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 rivalry is back on, which I don't know about you, but I'm shaking in my boots that Jacoby (laughs) Brissett's going to you know take over the the AFC. So, what's your take on what happened with McDaniel's? And the way I look at it, it's nothing but a positive for the Patriots. And what do you think this means long term for not only McDaniel's but also Bill Belichick? 
Uh, well, but I think what Chris Ballard should have said is the maybe like a Cold War situation is back on <laughs> where the two teams hate each other because a rivalry yeah. needs some pushback and some back and forth, and the Colts haven't been providing that um, aside from running the worst trick play in the history of the sport. Um, in 2004, Peyton Manning is not walking through that door. No, I don't think he is. Well, they thought he was five <laughs> years ago, and it's just you know been a, a tough a tough go for Andrew Luck. But uh, I think it definitely you know reflects poorly on on McDaniel's for the commitment and backing out and stuff like that. But ultimately, in the NFL, I mean, no one's looking out for you, no matter whether you're a head coach, a GM, a, a, a ninth lineman, or the starting quarterback. Your job security is always razor thin, and I think you know as much as you know you're promised by new teams and things like that. These, this day and age, a head coach basically has maybe 20 to 24 games to prove himself. And McDaniels learned that himself when he got fired in the middle of his second season in Denver. And I think, you know, it's not, it seems like a perfect opportunity and a great long-term thing, but if the Patriots can present something better and he looks out for himself, yeah, he's going to look bad. He's going to take criticism. But I think ultimately a guy, you know, making a decision for himself is is what it is you know i mean yeah he, he's gonna wear the criticism but ultimately i think you know people who say he'll never get a job anywhere i think are overreacting because again it's the nfl if you can help win and you know you've committed 75 murders they try to figure out a way to hire you so uh backing away from the colts job isn't exactly a life a lifelong death sentence from taking a head coaching job so whether that's in new england which i feel like it is i know they're saying it's not but i feel like that's that's how it's setting up but even still, if three years from now he's on the head coaching, you know, uh, list and he gets a job, you know, he's up for a job. I think he'll get it if he's the best candidate. It's the same thing as people who said Patricia wouldn't get a job because he wore a clown T-shirt. It's just, uh, <laughs> you know, the Lions think he can help them win games, and that's why they hired him. So I think uh, it's it's a huge deal right now, but it's just going to be a mark on McDaniel's uh, record rather than like, like sort of a catastrophic event that I, ruins his. I kind of felt like the Colts, in a, in a way, were doing with the. What you just described, they thought that they could that getting Josh McDaniels would help them win games, and I don't think Josh McDaniels really thought that job was all that great. You know, for one thing, the stability of the quarterback position is completely up in the air. Andrew Luck spent six weeks in the Netherlands rehabbing a shoulder injury. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. We don't know what he, his career arc is going to look like. You know, he doesn't know what, it, yeah. what. Be that as it may, the Tom Brady career arc might actually be longer uh, from <laughs> here on out than than Andrew Luck. I mean, seriously. He's on the TB12 You also program. got the owner. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but no. Ursay for two year, for years now has been saying, oh, Andrew's shoulder's fine. He'll be back this date. Oh, he's fine. He'll be back this date. He'll, he's fine. He'll be yeah, back this date. Yeah, he's missed that deadline how like, many times now? It, but yes. In Ursay's defense, he's also very drugged up at, at all points of, <laughs> of the factor. day. So he thinks factor, that he's but, coming back, but time is moving much slower than he actually thinks. Yeah. I just wonder if maybe Ursay promised McDaniel something about luck right. and then more information came to light. I mean, there's a lot there. And, you know, it's it's not a great situation when uh, you don't you know necessarily get upfront information in your interview. Not saying that happened, but that's something that, you know, could have contributed. Sure. Totally. Sure. So uh, the last point I want to touch upon regarding the Patriots, um, you know, Rob Gronkowski, right after the game, was asked about his plans next year and, and he was very nonchalant and was not forthcoming on coming back, which was a huge shock. Um, at first I took those comments as, Oh, well, you know, he's listen, he just finished the super bowl. They just lost, you know, emotionally, physically draining game. Uh, terrible time to ask that question. And then the rumors kind of came out that he really is actually considering retirement. I think Burt Breer, uh, tweeted out that it's legitimate. Um, Mike, is this more of him trying to angle for a new contract? Because he's, we, Burris and I talked about this earlier. He's the third highest paid tight end. 
he probably deserves wide receiver money like Julio Jones. Um, or is he legitimately think that he can be the next WWE star or or next Arnold Schwarzenegger? Uh, well, first of all, he's a terrible actor, so I think <laughs> someone needs to let him know that. Uh, he can so is Arnold, walk away from for being game. honest. Yeah, but the accent helps mask terrible mm-hmm. acting, I think. And mm-hmm. Gronk doesn't. Maybe he'll be a great Austrian actor if you think about you know <laughs> reversal. But he'd be a huge overseas um, actor. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I do think. Uh, there is a lot of legitimacy to it because I think for years Gronkowski said, hit me in the head, you know, don't hit me in the knee. I'd rather take it in the head and that way, whatever, I can walk That's off. What you- yeah, exactly. Rub some dirt on it and I'll be fine. And then he gets hit in the head in the AFC Championship game and he's like, whoa, that sucks too. That so I think, I, think, I, think there's a, I think there's something to that where that, that definitely got in his head and Florio actually reported it before they lost the Super Bowl. So it was definitely something there and I think it's kind of an open secret that uh not even a secret i think it's known that uh, drew rosenhaus is you know sort of a pumper into pro sure. football talk i think he's invested in the website so i think it's well it's, it's easy to connect the dots where florio might have gotten that information which leads you to believe there is some contract aspect to it but you know i've said this for years he's 28 years old he's taken more hits than most 40 year olds that, that last that long in the nfl because every time he catches the ball he's getting hit three or four times where other guys get hit once and and it does take a toll and i think of Someone like Calvin Johnson is probably a perfect example where he walked away at 30 and he's happy about it. You know, he wrote for the Players Tribune this year that he took up skiing, which is something he can never do. Stuff like that that I think we don't think about these guys as human beings. And, you know, I'd love to watch Gronkowski play for the next six years because he's amazing to watch. But realistically, just how physical and just painful that sport is, I wouldn't be surprised to see him walk away early. But I do think maybe a year or two more and he sets up sort of that – that retirement plan because at 30 if you stop working you know no matter how much you make uh you're gonna run out at some point so i I think (laughs) i'd be surprised if we don't see him next year but i do think it is time to start looking at him in that in that light yeah and you did a really good job of just laying out his importance to the team in your latest article um i do appreciate the delay in releasing that because uh, (laughs) yeah it was still a little a little a little rough to talk about um but i will say okay on the three super bowl losses in the brady belichick era this is easily the 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 most painless uh yeah I'm, I'm getting that a lot from a lot of people too it's yeah. sort of like uh i, I would have thought 11 just because that team was pretty bad yeah uh, but i guess the giants again giants and, retribution thing, and all yeah. that it was more i think it was more the fact that we won last year and you know it would have been three out of four years yeah. you know we can't get too uh greedy i guess and it, back in 11 we they still hadn't won since what 05 or 06 so 04 04 plus the eagles were actually really right. really good and true and and then and nick Foles is a, he him and doug peterson just played magnificent games i mean they were yeah. you know peterson had all the right plays and nick Foles, i thought he was gonna you know turtle under the bright lights but he, he was perfect me, hats off hats off to him they're yep. awesome um so before we let you go um anything when he the reason why I remember this is going to be such a fanboy comment, but like the first time that we went back and forth on Twitter, I think you mentioned uh, it was when Thrice came out with the, the brand new Black Honey song or, or oh, yeah. Blood on the Sand. And, um, I have to say this. I was doing my research today on, on Michael Hurley and, you know, kind of going to his background so I could look all educated and everything like that. But I kind of got distracted and I started listening to Thrice and Thursday yeah. and all I'll those, you. you know, mid 2000s angsty emo bands. And, and Burst is. Heat- is you mix Coheed in there? I didn't do any Coheed, but I did oh, do some. Now you're uh, talking receiving. my language. We're yeah, receiving any sirens, though. I mean, that's I'm a big not trio. me. It's it's so funny how it works out. Like with those, like 
you know, all those bands that are so similar, it's like you have yours and the other yeah. ones, you're just like, no, nah, I don't listen to them. Right. Get out right. of my face. <laughs> Even <laughs> though it's pretty the, much the same. Yeah, who's the one you said, Luke, the other day, early November? I'm like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. how come uh, not like early November? Exactly. Ace Enders was fantastic. Gosh. Nope, didn't like them, but I, I could probably name a band that's like just like like I used to listen to, like the Starting Line, which was worse than all of them. But oh, the Starting Line was the best. Was Are you kidding me? Oh, I, I uh, at fifteen, I, I, they're the best. I met well if you if you take a look, listen to um, oh my, the Drama Summer today, it still brings back all the feels, all the feels. Yeah. Oh, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. Well, I, Michael, I, uh, when when I first got my driver's license, little mm-hmm. personal story, uh, it was the winter of I guess oh two oh three, yeah, like yep. that February of oh three. And the first CD I put in was Tell All Your Friends from Taking Back Sunday. Oh, classic. And still, still when I put that in and drive, it's like I can smell that February 03 air in my old Acura Integra. And just it's it's all still there. So I guess that's why uh, it has lasting power. It really does. And, and, and when you're able to kind of remember those bands and you hit them on, you turn them up on Spotify, just think of, you know, when you just get drunk off like three or four Keystone lights back in the day. Um, <laughs> just brings back great memories. So, well, I have but, two kids now, so I'm back to that point. Like, if I have two beers, I'm, forget about it. <laughs> I, am, I am off the rails. So it's it's fun. It's sort of like a, a it's all cyclical. Right. Exactly. Well, hey, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Um, hopefully, this isn't the last time we talk to you. Um, you know, we'd love to do more stuff with you in the future. Um, where can people find you on Twitter and know about your podcast? Uh, well, you can find me at Michael F. Hurley, and there's a lot of bad dad jokes and things of the like. <laughs> Podcast is a little bit on hiatus as we figure out some studio issues and get okay. you know some some booking things down. But uh, when that gets back, it's going to come back. Uh, it's going to come back pretty strong. I bet. Maybe. Right. Maybe not. I don't know. All it's right. hard to well, say. Well, we'll. Uh, like I, I just said, wanted to make a big promise. You know. No, that that makes sense. That makes sense. But uh, we're we're fans of the podcast, so we'll be sure to promote that um, when it does come back, if it does come back. And um, like I said, really appreciate your time tonight, and uh, good luck with everything. Hopefully, we can talk in the future. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Mike.